Hello. It's really good to know you've downloaded the podcast. As ever, we're all about the telling of stories. And the two conversations you'll be part of in this episode, well, they couldn't be any more different. One. 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 We are a very multi-ethnic church with people from all over the world. We need to gather together in unity across denominations, across churches, across the county. Neighbourhood community is also looking after one another. One voice. Because we're all the same. The same. You know when people say that we all have a a doppelganger, a a double, someone who bears these striking resemblances to us, but of course is unrelated? Well, One Voice, the podcast, has a namesake. One Voice, the charity album and concert. And the coordinator of that fantastic project, it really is, is my second guest. And so to the first, she's got a collection of titles she's picked up numerous and fairly wide-ranging titles we'll get to that we'll get to that pretty quickly she is one of the the key figures in the church and has a brilliant sense of humor let's give a one voice welcome to helen cameron this is one voice thank you for setting aside the time to be on the the one voice uh, podcast very good of you the titles that you have managed to acquire are many so author academic uh, researcher chair of the district of course practical theologian boss it's quite (laughs) it's quite the collection yes it is when I saw the the practical theologian, it makes me wonder if there's such a thing as an as an impractical theologian. Mm. Mm. <laughs> that's a that's a very good comment to make. I, I think in the past, um, theologians were often regarded as those. Uh, you know, the phrase would be, you know, they sit in their ivory towers mm. and they they know nothing of the reality um, of people's lives. And the emergence of practical theology was to sort of say that the historical study of, you know, who God is, um, that might have been undertaken largely by white men um, in academic settings was sometimes disconnected from the reality of other people's lives. However, you know, those people uh, were human beings and they had families and they, you know, had to negotiate all the things that we negotiate. But it doesn't, it didn't always, that, that experience of life human life didn't always appear um to be taken into consideration in what they were writing and engaging with whereas practical theology has sort of started from the premise that you pay attention to the reality of people's experience and then you make the connections between that they're immensely practical and helpful in your office because they obviously set all this up and and they they said to me susie said to me how tireless and fearless a worker you are often from i think six in the morning she said till 10 at night at least is is that the the only way that you know how to be is is there an, an off switch in in all of these roles that that's a super question there is an off switch mm. um I, I i've been married for 33 years and friday night is date night and it's always been date night for 33 years so friday evening nobody gets me on a friday evening and if i <laughs> 
if I have to very rarely sometimes have to do something on a Friday evening, then, you know, then Saturday evening becomes date night. So I've got three um, young adult children um, who want me to watch films. And, you know, before the pandemic, I would have said that, you know, the life of the of theatre meant a great deal to me. So I was at the theatre, mm. you know, at least once or twice a, a month. And I, and I read um, novels and that the world of the imagination um, is very important to me. So there is an off switch. I think I live life intensely. So I work hard, but I also enjoy play and doing different things. Yeah, there is an off switch. I, I suppose I'm duty bound to ask then for the for said date nights. Who is the cooking done uh, equitably, and, and is there a signature dish? How does that side of it work? <laughs> well, that, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I'm married to a GP hmm. and, you know, one of the things, I have two daughters and a, and a son, and I'm interested that both, all of our three children have seen men and women, you know, their parents, um, negotiate a working life and also maintaining a family life, which is rich and fun and mm. quite gregarious and noisy when everybody's all together. So um, uh, we share we share the cooking as we share many other things, and um, uh, I'm regarded as the expert on the roast dinner and and, the, and known as the queen of puddings. Uh, but my husband, you know, has his dishes now that he he knows he's good at. So that kind of partnership as a relationship for children to see growing up is, I think, really healthy. Yes, yeah. the queen of puddings. You've obviously got Mary yeah. Berry now staring over her shoulder. It's <laughs> another, another title, John. It's another title. <laughs> right, right. That's going that's going down then on the A4 at the top. <laughs> I shall have to add it to my CV. <laughs> um, I know that one of your other and many varied interests, Ellen, is, is the connection between the pastoral, practical and the political. Can we say with any confidence how those three are connected? Ah, yes, I think we can. I mean, you know, the word political means polis, it means the city, it means, you know, where people live. And um, uh, therefore, uh, how people live um, matters, H how we treat one, one another. Um, so I've been passionate the whole of my working life about full inclusion, full participation, and the seeking to work for justice so that everybody gets included and that there's a seat at the table for everybody. So actually how we engage with one another uh, matters hugely. And for me as a, a, as a Christian person, then actually that, that matters to God too. So, so for me, faith is about uh, a world uh, being transformed uh, and that ch I do believe change is possible. I'm not... I'm not a rosy tinted spectacles person to say, um, you know, everything uh, is bound to get better. I actually think if you leave things, the worst of humanity tends to rise to the surface and you've got to be constantly aware and engaged. And actually that means, you know, Christian people getting involved in politics at every, at every level, at caring about the reality of people's lives, exercising their vote, all of that. So... They're deeply connected things. There, there is, of course, that bromide, isn't there, across a lot of society that oh, it's much better and safer to stay out of politics. Let's not let's not do politics, as it were, or, or religion. Do, does the church, clearly not for, for religion, but does the church find itself in that boat or, or, or feel that it needs to be careful and cautious about the political, Helen? I don't think cautious is the right mm. word. I think there's a need for care 
not to associate oneself always with one party political stance. I think it's important not to lump, for example, a group of politicians in a party you don't necessarily vote for um, as being, you know, the, um, the opposition and other than you and, you know, that actually they're, they're, that there are no good bunch. Actually, I think everybody who takes up public service uh, as a member of parliament uh, in the main, they are not self-aggrandizing. They're public servants, and uh, they work hard, and they don't always get everything right. So I, I do think that actually being supportive of those in public office is quite important, but also being willing to challenge those. Uh, and I've done my bit of that in, in over the years. Challenge those who are in public office to say... Um, you're there to represent everybody. You're not there just to represent the elite. You're there to represent those who have least. I think it is appropriate for church leaders to be a voice for the voiceless. So, you know, I would say to you, for example, the, the current media coverage of migrants crossing the English Channel, you know, to, to refer to those seeking sanctuary and safety for whatever reason, as well as better economic life for themselves, as, as you, you, you know, an infestation or, or uh, an invasion. I think people um, are worthy of, of dignity and um, I think we need to treat others as we would like to be treated ourselves when we were in a position of, of fear. So I think there are, I don't think that church leaders need to be cautious. I think they do need to be caring. Uh, I think they need to be open-minded. But I think, you know, Jesus uh, we follow someone who came and actually entered our world. So, uh, and, you know, got stuck in. So I think that it isn't possible for the church to separate itself out from the political life, but it needs to engage in it in a way that, you know, supports everybody who holds public office. I mean, I, you know, I don't think we pray enough, for example, in our churches for, for MPs, uh, those who work in the House of Lords, those who work in you know local councillors, um, those who actually give up all their time to actually try and improve the lot of other people. I'm going to press pause on that chat with Helen and we'll pick it back up in a few minutes' time. Now, before we hear about the other One Voice, I'm sure that this bit of news will draw your interest. Some research that's actually not very long been out at all tells us that one in four people have taken part in some form of online worship since lockdown was imposed. Within the Methodist Church, the the scale of numbers and the, the spread of where those worshippers live have been astonishing, especially for Methodist Central Hall in Westminster. Uh, of course, they've got this uh, wonderful... An extremely historic great hall uh, in, in the church building. And the capacity there is something like 2,000, just slightly over 2,000. But their online Sunday services have been seen totally by 200,000, which is it's just outstanding given physical attendance is, is usually around the 300-plus mark. Great, great news for the Central Hall and, of course, for the Methodist Church. You're listening to One Voice. And we're not the only ones called One Voice, it seems. Allow me to introduce Tommy Gardner. Now, Tommy is the force. He really is a force behind the Rising Star competition in Northamptonshire and something called One Voice. 
I'll let him tell you about it. During the lockdown period, um, I myself play the piano. And um, during that time, I teamed up with a few different artists to to do a collaboration because I saw loads loads of um, artists out there collaborating and it was a good time for people to come together and there was lots of split screen videos so I really enjoyed doing that and then I, I managed to do 46 of those collaborations which was really <laughs> really good fun it kind of got to the end of that period and, and a lot of places started to open again and a, a lot of the restrictions that we had were relaxed and I thought do you know what wouldn't it be good to to document some of the music that we've seen because not only my collaborations every time I went onto social media there were so many artists putting their live concerts mm -hmm. out their their streaming their songs that they've recorded and the the idea behind the name because this is far from one voice there's, there's many voices on there it's kind of to describe all of those voices coming together as one in this in this project yeah it was me was the one who tried yeah i believed how good we could be thinking that i change your mind you just needed time literally about five weeks ago i called upon the the artists of northampton to submit a song and then also I, there were a few of the artists on the album that i invited now originally i wanted to get around 10 or 12 tracks to make a, a one-off cd and that very very quickly turned into 27 artists and and that gave us the two disc album that we have today so was there kind of any um in the nicest possible way scrapping over mm -hmm. kind of who get who got to sang what and where it went on you know whether it was cd1 cd2 that sort of thing you know how did how did you pick that that side of it that that was really difficult so it was always going to be the 12 tracks and then when it started to grow beyond that and i i listened to every single track that was submitted before selecting them every every track was so good and there wasn't there wasn't a single track that that wouldn't fit and in fact all tracks you know I, i'm not one to say this this track doesn't fit on the album because the the whole aim of the project is to include everyone a huge variety so the task of dividing them up between cd1 and cd2 was was very difficult and i wouldn't say there's much of a difference and i've tried to keep it really equal so for example if we have individual a certain amount of individual artists they've been equally spread across the two discs to, to kind of just create a nice mix across the whole album gotta hand it to you tommy if i know that if i was after a determined a gritty mm -hmm. social media marketeer you'd yeah. be it there have been pictures ah. of so many people holding the album putting that photo yeah. out on twitter and all the rest of it yeah. so you, you've kind of you've got it in the right places haven't you yeah, and for this project, and I have to say, I'm very thankful for all of the all of the support for for this. You know, this show and then all the other shows where it's it's featured, and Northampton Chronicle as well. As soon as I started, ask even just from when I was asking artists to submit a song, the places where I would normally go to, like BBC Radio Northampton or mm. or the Northampton Crom, because other than this, I actually run a competition called Northamptonshire's Rising Star. So each year when when that competition comes around, I contact the station and say, look, can we come on and talk about the, the competition and see if we can recruit some people to, to register for the competition? 
this was different. This was this was really different, and I was really surprised in a good way because when this started, the contacts at the the radio or the people that run the show or or they or journalists that put the stories in the newspaper actually contacted me. They contacted the project and said, you know, this sounds fantastic. Let us know what we can do to help. Would you like to come on the show? And it, it's just been incredible. And it looks as well on, in a similar vein that you're, you'll be getting some traction from the tweeting chief, the chief constable of Northamptonshire. He has got a copy waiting yeah. for him. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping to get a, a nice um, response from him with, with a, a photograph. So that's coming. But the, the, the be- reason behind that was going away from the tracks on the album, mm-hmm. on the inside of the artwork, there are some photographs that were submitted from uh, members of the public in and around the county of their lockdown experiences. So there's some people wearing masks. There's, there's, a, there's a nice photograph where someone's drawn a rainbow on the pavement mm-hmm. outside their house. Thank you for the NHS. And th- there's some really nice photographs. And, and one of, the, one of the, the best responses we had was there was a tweet asking for people to sending their lockdown photos. And the chief of Northampton Police, Nick Adderley, shared that tweet. And from then, loads of people saw that tweet and, and were sending, sending in their photos because he, he seems to have gained a huge local following. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? When he can just get, get any sort of traction that way because he, you know, like you say, clearly has built up a following and, uh, and certainly knows yeah. how to use that, that platform. You, we've said, well, you've chosen to release this on CD. It is, Mm-hmm. Is it is it a format that you know you're particularly fond of, Tommy? You got a soft spot for with this album. The the initial plans were to release it as a CD, but also digitally as mm. well on iTunes and across all those platforms. And then about two weeks before the release, I changed my mind when I received this this album and and it had everyone's photographs. I di- I didn't want it to just go out on digital platforms at the same time as the album because. For me, when you actually hold this album and look at the photographs, it's not just about the songs on it. It's not just about listening to the music. For me, I think it it represents the period that we've we've gone through. Yeah. And, and as a, as a physical product, I think it it really really shows off what it's all about. And I think I think if you was to go to and listen to this album on Spotify, I think I think it would just take away from that. And obviously, one voice as a project has yeah. has got longevity about it. Can yeah. it take on other forms from here? You know, what happens from from here on in? I mean, I hope so. I was never originally planning a concert, and it it, it kind of just grown. And a few people, a few people said. Um, you know, this would be a really good concert and to, to get everyone together on a stage performing this album would be phenomenal. And at the time, the, the, I don't think we were allowed to with the restrictions. Mm. And then the weekend just gone, I had a meeting with the Deco Theatre um, because there are the rules now are that you can do um, music performances inside as long as everything's socially distanced. And... I know the Derngate Theatre, for them, it's not viable at the moment to open up their show's distance, but the Deco are really pushing forward and are starting to do things. They're opening up as a cinema, and they're also announced that they're going to be running their panto this year, um, socially distanced. So they, as soon as I heard from them that actually this is possible, um, I then I then contacted the artists, and, and so far the lineup's looking pretty pretty big i mean this is going to probably be the biggest challenge ever to to bring this to a stage because i think we're going to have to split up the shows into two separate concerts on the same day <laughs> yeah. i was going to say is there is there a stage big enough tommy who uh, yeah. to accommodate this? 
No, I, I know it's, it's going to be it's going to be really tricky, and it's probably not going to be possible to fit the whole album into one show for example one evening show it's gonna what we're gonna probably do is as an afternoon show and an evening show but that we've, we've put plans together for both options and if we just did a one like a one two and a half hour three hour show you're not going to be able to have the amount of artists that we would like to have yeah so we'll probably do two versions of the concept i guess you could do half a voice and then the next half you can, you can have that one yeah. on me <laughs> yeah <Sorry>. yeah <laughs> That's we'll, 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 we'll do disc one at two o'clock and then yeah. disc two at, yeah i like it but, um, so, and what are the ways in which um somebody that wants to to have the music you know either downloaded or mm. the physical copy how can they support one voice tommy yeah so to support the project and, and get your hands on a, a copy of the album um if you visit our website which is onevoicenorfans.co.uk on there there's our online shop and you can buy the album um and you can also buy a, a really nice mug um which i've been drinking tea out of and i can <laughs> say that tea tastes better um from the one mug obviously yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a really nice t-shirt on there as well and it's important to say that all profits from any products in in the one voice project um go to the northamptonshire community foundation's coronavirus response and recovery fund excellent get yourself a copy otherwise mm. no less than the chief constable will be around exactly <laughs> to have a word <laughs> I'm, I'm already planning a good caption for when i have the photograph i'm, I'm think i think we, we should make it law that it's a criminal offense for you not to buy the album i think that's the very least we can do thanks ever so much for telling all those <laughs> lockdown stories to you and your musician friends uh, thank you uh, tommy and thanks for your time no thank you very much The Methodist Church in Northamptonshire. This is One Voice. Tommy Gardner, behind the other One Voice project. I like the name, actually, yeah. like the name. I think it'll catch on. I want us to get back to the rest of the recording with Helen Cameron. Where we left off was at the point that we were talking about Methodism and how it, it never ever shied away from challenges that were political and Helen had actually even used the phrase giving a voice to the voiceless and that was something that Francis Eteria said in the very first podcast the very first edition of One Voice that we did. You know, the Methodist position about being involved in politics John Wesley you know I found a right from the beginning um, made himself unpopular in, a, in, in an established church because he went uh, famously, the story is he went to preach to the miners in Bristol at Hannah Mount. And the story goes, you know, they were outside of their own parishes. So they weren't being, you know, they, they didn't have a church to go to, as it were. And because they'd come from all over the country to be in Bristol, because that's where the work was. And, um, you know, from the beginning, John Wesley was willing to take risks to be available to people who had less. Um, and, you know, the early Methodists campaigned against slavery. The early Methodist Tolpuddle Martyrs, if you know that story mm. about the Tolpuddle Martyrs in Dorset, yeah. the first agricultural workers who tried to form a union and campaign against absolutely appalling, you know, starvation wages. And they were, um, you know, they were shipped off uh, to Australia as convicts, only to mm. be, um, you know, restored and brought back um, uh, as those who had championed uh, the role of, of of rural families and rural workers actually being given a decent wage 
for the for the work that they had done. So that's how we began. Um, I think there's been times in the history of Methodism when people have been, uh, they have been less engaged in that. But you know, we have a, a, a group within the church now, our, our John Public Issues team, who continue uh, to campaign against child poverty um, and in a number of areas, uh, seeking justice for those who actually uh, are struggling to get their voices heard. This is a good time to bring in one of your books. Resourcing Mission is a very prescient book. I think the issues of of income models for churches, leadership, the use of buildings, it's hugely relevant and and particularly in in Northampton, you know, we are seeing that at the moment, you know, the sort of the challenges around, you know, what happens with with a building in Kingsthorpe. How difficult is it to make sure that people are kind of invested in the right way forward or the best way forward? Oh, it's always a challenge, but that doesn't mean to say it's it's not worth doing. Mm. You know, I, I think that um, we are all human beings and um, <laughs> most human beings uh, don't relish change. They cope with change rather than seek it out. There are very mm. few people who, who actually go looking for it. Um, so the kind of you know default to the status quo is present in every organization and the church is not exempt from that so i always think that it's important not to be cross with people who actually find change difficult or they're frightened by it i think you actually have to encourage them into it now you know the joke is that if you want to you know if you want to move a piano into a different place in the church you move it an inch a week and you know and by the end of six months nobody notices you've moved it from one side of the church to the other now you know that's a that's a parody that's a parody but i do remember in my first uh, it's a long time ago now my first um church at that point, issue uh, issues about religious language, you know, what we, the kind of language we used in church, not in fact about God, but about human beings, was, was you know, a big thing, inclusive language. Did, could we pray in a way where actually men and women and absolutely everybody knew that they were included or not? And um, it, it's very interesting, you know, all these years later, actually people assume that, it, that it's right to include people <laughs> like that. So... If we have a default that we don't want to change, how we encourage people into saying it's all right if we hang together and keep speaking to each other, we'll get there, Mm -hmm. um, is quite important. In the main, I find people braver together, you you know, than they are on their own. If they can see. So I've seen, you know, in one sense, if you'd asked me that question before the pandemic, I'd have said, well, you know, the church can sometimes be a conservative and cautious Mm -hmm. institution. And I would like it to be bolder and I'd like it to be braver. And then COVID-19 hit us. And, you know, since March, actually, what is a building and what use it has in a community has shifted and changed because people have discovered, you know, in the Northampton district, we've established a youth Zoom network. And actually all our young people in the district, which covers a very big area, not just Northampton, um, have actually discovered they can actually be in worship together you know, on Zoom uh, every week if they want to be. Yeah. And therefore, what is really good is nobody wanted the pandemic and the pandemic has caused huge pain and loss, not just loss of life, but loss of what we know to be familiar. And suddenly people have discovered the church hasn't gone away just because it's not in its buildings. So that raises some questions then about how you use buildings and might just have helped people come to terms much more quickly with the need to look at buildings 
very differently in terms of what uh, what they're for, you know, what the legacy is, whose building is it? Mm -hmm. um, and so we're encouraging congregations to sort of say, how were you using the building, but actually how was your community using it? To see churches survive and, dare I even suggest, flourish, is it? Is it about coming in with a business-minded view? Well, I'm someone who's firm believer in good, in good strategic thinking. Mm. You know, there's a, there's a hymn that we sing that actually, you know, says, you know, we, we, we offer everything to God, including our intellect. And every time I sing it, my, you know, my heart sings because actually, um, you know, God does want us to use our brains. And we're, you know, put quite crudely, the church is a community organisation with, with um, you know, sub offices in a number of locations. Some of the buildings are too close together. Some are actually, some communities have no building. What the pandemic has shown is that um, network activity might not need a building or might not need it in the same way, or the church congregation might need the building less, but the community might need it more, actually, some communities. So, what we're discovering is um, a sense of wanting to, yeah, use our brains to think strategically about what buildings we need, what we can afford, what we should keep open for the sake of the wider community. But that as churches in many parts of the world, you know, I think of China during a period of oppression, for example, there was no sign of any church buildings in China uh, during a period of oppression, but a church grew and flourished. <laughs> Yeah. And therefore, it isn't just about the building historically. We live in a climate where buildings are sometimes useful, but Methodism flourished in its early stage in, it, in the 17th and 18th and 19th centuries by actually remembering that people gathering just in their cottage or their home mm. actually provided them with enough strength and support to actually live a good life during the week. And um, I, I think the other thing about this which isn't about business, but is about inclusion. There's a whole host of people who can't get to church on a Sunday morning at half past 10 or in an evening at six. That they're shift workers or they're, you know, in that kind of uh, economy where, where they've got no fixed patterns, they're on zero hour contracts, they're looking after elderly parents or young children. They've never been able to go to a building to be part of church or they're in a wheelchair and they can't get up the steps. Mm. There's a whole load of people. Now, interesting, it's why the numbers, it's why the worshipping numbers have gone up during a pandemic, because you can access the service at any time. You just put your laptop on your knee or your phone. Buildings may, some buildings, and our fixation with them, may have actually kept the church smaller. <laughs> mm, fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it has forced a new take on many things. So, so here is to the the impromptu, like from those early days. Also, the strategy and and moving church pianos with with more alacrity. I think. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Ellen. Thank you ever so much for your time and uh, your contribution. Nice to talk to you. Thank you, John. Thanks. Well, we've definitely covered some ground. Uh, change, Wesley, church buildings date nights and good solid strategic thinking so thank you thank you ever so much to helen there helen cameron and to tommy gardner and of course to you for supporting the one voice podcast we'll catch up soon stories community and what brings us together this is one voice